scary girl. I actually know the words. Oh. I've been staring at the edge of the water long as I can remember. Never really knowing why. Do, 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 do. That's the little um, pipe. Pan, pan pl- the pan flute? Is yeah, it pan flute? I think it's a pan, pan flute. Pipes. Oh, yeah. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah on the pan flute. (laughs) And this This is is Dead Time Stories. Welcome back. It's just us. I know. I was writing in my journal today. Um, I write in my journal a lot. I'm a journaler. Um, But I wrote in my journal today that I was actually like, I got so gung-ho about my notes because I was like really excited to get back into like the regular groove of things. Like it's been honestly like, you know, no lie, it's been helpful to like cheat to not have to do research every oh, week yeah. by having guests. But it was also like I was doing a lot of, sh- I was doing two other shows, like I had so much going on. So it was like easy and fun to have guests on. And I would like to do that again for October, you know, that's mm-hmm. a cool thing. But I was really excited to to go back to how we do things here. I know, just two girls, two stories, and all the puns. And ghosts and background noises and, there but like really noises. like otherwise like professional quality sound that we <laughs> usually bring you. As I try not to hit the mic, as I lean away laughing, because <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, you might hear a little bit of noise upstairs. We are recording this on election night. On election night, you guys. So so we don't know. <laughs> so so ooh, we girl, really that like, is scary. Ooh, girl, we really like to be scared here. So we're just doing this to ourselves. Yeah, we. You know, I voted today. Sarah voted today, as you might have seen on the gram. We voted. Grabbed our boobies and we went. This is our. And we went. This is our voice. Did you see the SNL sketch that I posted on Facebook where it's um, like the Democrats like yes. and the blue wave? Yes, like, ha- I felt it so hard. You know, we don't we don't get too political here too often, but like, yeah, it was real. It was too real. If you don't know what we're talking about, you should Google it. Um, but just like <laughs> they're all like super. They're like, we're, you know, the Democrats are gonna win, and I've never been more. Confident, like they're all, like they're all talking about how well the Democrats are going to do, but they're all like shaking and terrified. And and I just realized that by the time you guys are hearing us talk about all this stuff, the fate will already be or, right or or yeah, not. We, but we don't know. That's and that's what's really scary. <sighs> Scariest episode yet. Yeah, girl, you are so right. Midterm election. So let's dive into some other stuff. Yeah. Whew, scariest. Scariest episode. So you've got updates Midterms for us. Midterms 2018. I do. Two updates. Is that what we're doing first? Yeah. That's what I thought. Yep. So you guys were present for Halloween. Happy Halloween for everyone Halloween. who listened early. And we had our good friend Aaron on who talked about his experiences. And he did say at the end for us to keep an eye out or see if anything happened to us or be aware that we might have something happen. I personally... Didn't have anything no, happen. Me either. I've been fine. Yeah, Stephanie's been fine as well. But the day after we recorded, the morning after, he sent me a text message. And I just want to read the text message and then, you know, we'll sort of discuss it. But he just sent me a text message saying that he hopes, hope your guys' evening was uneventful after. I had a peripheral apparition startle me while I was sitting on my couch. It was sitting in the love seat next to me in the living room. I fell asleep on the couch and was woken up by a black mass walking past me into the dining room. It was the sound of it walking that woke me. It's okay. I hoped nothing would happen, but accepted it might. Um, I do feel safe writing about the stuff. I tried to keep it as light as possible. I didn't discuss some stuff, like it has turned the gas stove on in the middle of the night while everyone is is asleep, so we wake up to a house filled with gas. It has tripped me going up and downstairs. I broke my shoulder one time tripping up the stairs after it grabbed my foot and a bunch of stuff like this. Wish I wrote stuff down to discuss, but oh well, I was just happy to talk about it. Please let me know if you guys are experiencing anything. So something is going on with Aaron, as you guys heard. We'll keep you updated if he reaches out with anything else, but I, I am in contact with him and... um. Hope to bring him back to 
to talk a little bit more. He did seem to have a really positive experience. He yeah. seemed to feel really I think we were talking after and you mentioned that it seemed like it was very kind of therapeutic for him. Yeah. Cathartic definitely. in a way. So that was nice. He definitely seemed like way more relaxed. Like after having talked about it, he's yeah. definitely super tense going into it. And by the yeah. end, he came out and he was really like, he seemed to be in like good spirits and he seemed really like soothed. Yeah. So I think it was a really good experience for him. I'll, I admit I was a little nervous going home and I was like, oh my God, you know, where did I put my keys? Make sure I left my keys there. Where did I put my rings? Okay. I know I left my rings there. <laughs> like making sure that nothing got moved around because I knew that was some shit that was going to happen to me. Yeah. But nope, all clear on this front. Yeah, I've been good. I've been doing all right. I mean, I have a sinus infection, but that's... That's, that's the ghost. No, nah, that's totally normal with the way this weather has been back and forth. My, it's true. My sinuses always go like, what? Hot, cold, hot, cold, flood the system. And it's only been happening to me since I moved to Philadelphia. I never... I don't know if it has to do with I turned 30 and my body is shutting down that's or it. if, you know, it's I moved to Philadelphia and everything's old and moldy. I think it's both. But yeah, I never had those like any sort of like breathing problems before I lived here. But that's unrelated. I was like, how sinus do we get shit onto our sinus Going shit? into the the next update. Well, the other update, you guys, comes from the other end of the body. And I know we've all been waiting in anticipation for what might possibly be the final installment of our pooper intendant saga. Poop, 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 pooper intendant. Oh, why haven't you done that before? That's perfect. We could have had Eric make up a whole sound where it sort of echoes every day. Poop, 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 pooper intended. Poop, poop, pooper intended. Poop, poop. I want to hear like some sort of like basketball air horns behind it. Yeah. Poop, 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 pooper intended. Pooper intended. That was your intro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I fucked it up. All right, guys. Um, He had his court date. And he pled guilty. Yeah, he fucking did. He pled guilty and he will have to pay a fine of $500 and the court costs. Did he do that thing where you pled, like, I'll plead guilty, but I didn't do it? Do you know what well, I'm listen. About? Okay. I don't think so. I think he, you know, he pled guilty. So he admitted to pooping under the bleachers. Under the bleachers. So not directly on the track. Okay. Well, fine. Um, stating a medical condition that affects his bowel movements when he runs. The condition is known as runner's diarrhea I was, I was gonna say whatever anytime i take a long walk or whatever like everyone I have to knows that when you start moving everything starts moving including your bowels but this was his excuse it's said to be brought on from acute blood flow during exercise so be, feel bad for him he has a medical condition that, that makes him have to shit himself us. when he runs too much dude just stop running like the rest of us Anyways, their big thing, though, was that his lawyer argued that he wasn't doing it every day, as had been reported. So he said that they're slandering him, saying that he's doing it every day, and he's not doing it every day. He's like, day. look, I only did it, like, a dozen times. Well, listen, his lawyer said, we were ready to go on trial on some of the allegations about certain dates with GPS evidence from his Garmin running watch. That story needs to be told. He's been through hell and back. He deserves a story that tells the accurate picture. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here today to tell you the accurate picture of the pooper intendant. He wasn't pooping on the track every day, but he was still pooping on the track whenever he ran there. He didn't run there every day. But whenever he ran there, he's pooping there. Yes. So, he pled guilty. But he still plans to sue the police department over the release of his yeah, mugshot. Yeah, people who he was, yeah. Citing the Homedale Police Department have some explaining to do. That's a direct Just quote. Like Lucy. I'm sorry, the police department has some explaining to do? I still need you to police explain department, to me. Police department, you got some explaining to do. After the first time that you run on the track and you realize, oh, shit. I got to go right now. I've got to make, I got to go under the bleachers. Don't you think you would maybe never run at that location ever again? He was too confident. Eric found it funny. Eric gets it. The other thing that I found that I didn't write this down, but I'm remembering it as I'm talking, is they argued that the porta potties that they said were within like 50 feet or something like that. They were like, it's unclear whether those porta potties always remained unlocked, and it's unclear whether or not. He would have even made it there to use the porta potty in the first place because he had runner's so diarrhea bad, so bad. So the Holmdale Police uh, Department statement uh, in response to him saying that he's still going to sue them and that they have some explaining to do is that we don't comment on threatened litigation. Sure. 
So I might have an update if he ever actually ends up suing them. But as of right now, he is just a poor guy who got over $100,000 in his severance package leaving as a superintendent. Who Without his good name intact. Yeah, doesn't have his good name intact. And when you Google his name, his mugshot, and everyone knows that he pooped on a track. Multiple times, though. Again, if he had done it once, it probably would have been unnoticed. But he did it enough for them to say, we need to put a camera. Who keeps doing this? We have to put up surveillance. The janitor is like, look, I saw this thing on TV once. It was to catch a predator. We're going to catch a poopiter. Get the fuck out. (laughs) That's my pooper incident update. That final installment. Final installment of the poop, 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 pooper intended. Or is it? There you go. That's good. The end, question mark. (laughs) The end? You said it. I did. So you want me to go first, Sarah? Yeah. Um, Well, I've got- Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? I was literally just going to say, well, I've got a question for you. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? You guys, I swear we talked about what we were going to do before this. Okay. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Yes, I'm not actually talking about a ghost today, though. Oh. She could be a ghost, sure. They've made tons of movies and stuff about her. Ooh. I'm going to be talking about Elizabeth Bathory. Are you familiar with Elizabeth Bathory? That sounds really familiar. Like, I've probably read about her, but not enough. So I'll tell you kind of what she's famous for, but I have a lot of information about, like, what really happened. All right. So Elizabeth Bathory uh, was a lady in Hungary who lived from 1560 to 1614. And what she's most famous for is that she is, like, the most prolific female serial killer of all time. And she, legend has it, bathed in the blood of her victims to like keep herself like young and beautiful and some people say that like some of Bram Stoker's Dracula is based on her because she like lived she was uh lived in Transylvania and was into blood and that was like a whole thing uh and she's been in I didn't print up the list but I have like I printed up the thing about pop culture but she's been in a lot of movies and tv shows and like even video games like she's a villain a lot like in and tons and tons and tons of stuff um because she's a lady who killed lots and lots of people so she was a hungarian noblewoman and allegedly uh, an alleged serial killer from the noble family of bathory who owned land in the kingdom of hungary but the parts that they owned are now broken up to hungary slovakia and romania uh, and some of it was transylvania she holds the Guinness World uh, the Guinness World Record for the most prolific female serial killer. For the number uh, the number of victims is debated, though. Her and her four collaborators were accused of killing hundreds of women between 1585 and 1609. The number that's the highest number that's been said, but not proven, was 650-ish women. Uh, Her family's wealth kept her out of trial, but she was imprisoned in December of 1610 and held in solitary confinement until her death four years later. Mm. She was born to a privileged, wealthy family. She had a great education and social status. Of course, she spoke Hungarian because that's where she was from, but she spoke Latin, German, and Greek as well. Before her first marriage, uh, she was engaged at 10, but she didn't get uh, married until she was 15. Oh, but that's be- good. Right. But before her first marriage, uh, it said that she had a child at the age of 13 who was fathered by a peasant boy, and her family, like, gave the child away to, like, a local woman, some, like, local peasant woman. Um, but she was engaged at 10 to, uh, and, of course, I'm going to be guessing on how to pronounce all of these things that I have in here because it's all foreign to me, literally. Um <laughs> So so she was engaged to uh, Ferenc Nadatsky, and because she was of a higher station than him, she refused to take his last name, and instead Nadatsky changed his name to Bathory. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, and they were married when she was 15, and he was 19 years old. Damn, which... she got him to take her last name? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you're, um, no, your family's not nearly as rich as mine. We're the Batheries, okay? Look, I have already made another human and given birth to it and given it away. I'm not taking your name. Your name, right? Like, no, we're not doing that. So um, she moved with Nadatsky to a castle 
and spent much of her time alone while her husband was away studying in Vienna. Nadatsky's wedding gift to Elizabeth was, and I wrote down how to say it because I'm going to say it several times throughout this story, um, the Chokstise Castle. It's in the Little Carpathians, which is a mountain range up in Hungary, together with a country house and like 17 neighboring villages and still is surrounded by a bunch of agricultural land uh, and outcrops. In 1578, Nadadsky made chief, he was made chief commander of the Hungarian troops, and Elizabeth managed the business and affairs of the estates and was responsible for basically all of the Hungarian and Slovak people, including like providing medical care for them. <laughs> like while he was away, she was like charge of all of the shit. Okay. She ran that shit. So during the long war, which that's what it's called, which was from 1593 to 1606, Elizabeth uh, was charged with defense of her husband's estates. So that's in um, Chakstise, uh, which lay in the route to Vienna and was under significant threat and had been previously plundered by the Ottomans. And Sarvar, which was located near the border, and those are the two places I'm going to talk about the most, are Chakstise and Sarvar, uh, which was located near the border and was in even greater danger because of where it was. So Ferenc Nadadsky died January 4th, 1604, at the age of 48. He had four children with her, with Elizabeth Bathory, and he entrusted his heirs and, and his widow to a guy named Georgi Thorzo, who we're going to talk about a lot, because he eventually led the investigation into Elizabeth's crimes. Mm. So between 1602 and 1604, rumors of Bathory's atrocities began to spread through the kingdom. There was a Lutheran minister named Instuan Magyani, and he made formal complaints against her in public and in the court of Vienna. Finally, in 1610, King Matthias II assigned Giorgio Thorzo, who was uh, the Palatine of Hungary, which ultimately that position became the prime minister. But at the time, the Palatine had, like, um, rule over, like, the entire justice system. Mm -hmm. So he was like, she's your charge. Like, you fucking look into this. What's up with this woman? Like, check her out. So he ordered two notaries to begin collecting evidence in March of 1610. They collected testimony from more than 300 witnesses. So, Inc wait, what tipped them off in the first place? Like, why did people start filing complaints? Because I'm, I'm just about to get oh, into okay. that, what, like, what they were saying about her. But he was the first one who said, the, that priest was the first one who said something. Okay. He was like, this lady has been taking ladies, has been taking young servant girls and killing them and doing things with their bodies. So so they had more than 300 witnesses, including priests, noblemen, commoners, uh, the castellan, which is like the governor or the captain of the castle in Chukstise. Um, because <laughs> I like how it's spelled and how it's pronounced are totally different. Yeah, and on the I other bet. pages where I have like how it's pronounced. And other personnel from the Sarvar castle, uh, which was the one that was down by the border. So initial victims were serving girls from the ages of 10 to 14, uh, and they were daughters of local peasants that were lured to um, Chakstise by offers of well-paid work as maids and servers. Later, she began to kill the daughters of her lesser gentry, and gentry are like, they're like noble people, but they don't have like titles. Um, they're just like well-born. And they were sent to her, which I had to look this up, her um, gymnasium. Which is, like, basically, like, people come to study. Uh, they send girls to, like, study under her and, like, etiquette. Like, they learn from her, like, how to be, like, a noble woman. And, like, so, an apprenticeship and manners. Right. But she, like, killed girls that were <laughs> sent to her for that. So she's also said to have abducted other victims as well. Uh, the most attributed atrocities that people say were um, severe beatings, burning or mutilation of the hands... Biting flesh off of the face, what? the arms, and other body parts. Freezing or starving people to death. Uh, use of needles. Burning with hot tongs and then placing them in freezing cold water. It said that she covered some girls in, in honey and live ants. No. And Elizabeth was also suspected of cannibalism. Well, yeah, if she was biting someone's face. Right, and I was like, yeah, she bit somebody's fucking face. It's cannibalism 101. So some witnesses named relatives who had died while they were at her gymnasium. Uh, others reported having seen traces of torture on dead bodies. 
um, that were like left outside, some buried in graveyards, some unmarked locations. Witnesses claim to see Elizabeth torture and kill young service girls at Chuxtise, Sarvar, and other properties at, <laughs> how am I going to pronounce this one? Uh, Nebet Karoster, uh, Bratislava, and in Vienna. Nebuchadnezzar? It's not. It's N E M E T K E R E S Z T U R. You lost me. You lost me. I know. Uh, in addition to the defendants, because it was her and her four servants, several people were named for supplying Elizabeth Bathory with young women procured through deception or by force. Torture and bloody orgies were supposedly carried out to uh, to accompany family celebrations, including her daughter's wedding and holidays. But there wasn't, like, really any evidence to support that. That's all hearsay. So it was her daughter's wedding, and then she's like, hey, to celebrate, you know what you guys sh- we should do? Blood, Blood orgy. the virgins. <laughs> so... There's there's uh, conflicting stories about how she, like how she was ultimately caught. Some say that Thorzo um, went to Chuckstise and like caught her in the act. Uh, he said that that the townsfolk came to him and told him that they caught her in the act, but ultimately like she was brought to justice before any of the bodies were or she was like arrested before any of the bodies were really like observed or anything. Hmm. So that's all, like, again, hearsay. Uh, so he arrested her and her four servants that he believed to be accomplices. Uh, Thorzo said that she was caught red-handed by the guests and the village people, but little evidence by the village people who did the YMCA, um, but little evidence to support either claim. They really are timeless. They are. He just wanted to be a macho man. Thorzo debated how to handle the prosecution. A trial and execution would have caused a huge scandal and disgraced a noble and influential family. At the time, they ruled Transylvania as well, and her property would have been seized by the Hungarian crown. Thurzo and her family were hoping to have her sent away to a nunnery, but as accounts of her victims of lesser nobility spread, <laughs> that became impossible because people were like, people once people started to hear about it, they're like, what? You can't just, well, we want justice. So, like, they couldn't really, like, steer her away. Yeah. So she was placed under house arrest. The trial of her accomplices began on the 2nd of January, 1611. <laughs> funny how long ago this was for some reason dozens of witnesses and survivors testified sometimes as many as 35 a day all but one of her servants testified against her god court also examined skeletons and cadaver parts found as evidence the exact number of victims is unknown two accomplices said that in their time that they had been working with her they had helped dispose of 36 or 37 girls the two others estimated that they had helped get rid of over 50 bodies Servar Castle personnel estimated that they had disposed of somewhere between 100 and 200 bodies uh, that were removed from the castle. One witness testified that Bathory kept a book with a list of her victims, and it had over 650 people in it. That's where that number came from. But that book was never found. I was like, did they find it? No, <laughs> sure. of course not. Um, the official count that she was charged for was 80. It was murdering 80 people. Location of the diaries are unknown, but 32 letters written by Bathory are stored at the Hungarian State Archives in Budapest. She was imprisoned in Chuckstise Castle and placed in solitary confinement. She was bricked up. Uh, she was in bricked up rooms that only had small slits left open for ventilation and the passing of food. She remained until her death four years later. On the evening of August 21st, 1641, she complained to her guard that her hands were cold. He suggested that she go lay down. Uh, she was found dead the next morning. Elizabeth was originally buried in the church of Chaxtise, but There was an uproar from the villagers yeah, I bet. about having the blood countess buried in their cemetery. The body was moved to her birth home in Exed to be interred into the family crypt. The location of her body is unknown today. No markings at Chaxtise church or castle bear any, like, any notification about her body ever having been there. Oh, wow. So, reputation, folklore, and pop culture. Several authors, uh, including uh, Laszlo Nagy and Dr. Irma skadetsky kardas argue that Elizabeth Bathory was the victim of a conspiracy. This is possible. This is very possible. That the proceedings were politically motivated due to her extensive wealth and her land ownership. 
especially after her husband's death. Uh, the theory is consistent with Hungarian history at the time. Many religious and political conflicts, especially in relation to the wars with the Ottoman Empire, the spread of Protestantism uh, and extension of Habsburg, which is which is currently Austria, over Hungary. The counter arguments note that the investigation was sparked by complaints of a Lutheran minister, and that doesn't contribute to the notion of the Catholic takeover um, because she was a Protestant and Protestant and Lutheranism are are very similar and the like he had no he wouldn't have had any agenda for the catholic church to take over the person who was like Jacques Hughes mm. um <laughs> but this also doesn't uh doesn't discredit the over 300 witnesses and the physical evidence that they had against her yeah, what about the dead bodies yeah uh sadetsky kardas argues that the physical evidence was exaggerated and misrepresented by thurzo uh <laughs> As disgracing her would have greatly benefited the political state ambitions that he had um, because he did a lot to, like, keep her name from being disgraced but still get her property and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's like, that's that's her argument is that, like, he was part of the conspiracy against her. Um, but that's just one of many, many, many theories. Yeah. Uh, the case inspired many stories in the 18th and 19th centuries, the most common motif being that she bathed in her victim's blood to retain her youth and beauty. It appeared in print the first time in 1729 in Jesuit scholar Laszlo Chodzki's Tragica Historia, based on some witness accounts, but have never truly been verified. Far more likely to be the motive is that Bathory uh, just took sadistic pleasure. She's just fucking crazy. She just took pleasure in killing them (laughs) she just really enjoyed it the legend nonetheless persisted perhaps because of her ties to transylvania and vampire lore uh some versions tell the the story as a purpose of like denouncing female vanity Mm -hmm. like some of them that's why they say that she bathed in the blood because it's like to talk about how she was evil because she wanted to be pretty or whatever um and some of them just play it out like this bitch just loved to kill people like that was her thing (laughs) that look listen this is her thing just let her have her thing. That's her thing. She just wants to, like, bleed people out. So then this is the other additional thing that I have printed up. The, ca- the case of Countess Elizabeth Bathory inspired numerous stories and fairy tales. 18th and 19th century writers liberally added or omitted elements of the narrative. The most common motif of these works was that the Countess bathing in her victim's blood in order to retain beauty or beauty. Uh, beauty or beauty. beauty. Beauty or one. youth. <laughs> What's a beauth? Um... Is it beautiful youth? We'll talk about that on next week's Fetish Five. Okay, good to know. Um, frequently, the cruel countess would discover the secret of blood bathing when she slapped a female servant in rage, splashing parts of her own skin with blood. Upon removal of the blood, that portion of her skin would seem younger and God, more beautiful than before. How hard did she slap that girl? I assume the girl was already bleeding, oh. and then she slapped her and blood went I everywhere. I think she just slapped the shit out of her. She slapped her so hard, <laughs> she just made her bleed. Uh, the legend appeared in print for the first time in 1729. We talked about this. Uh, when quoting him in his 1742 history book, Matthias Bell was skeptical about this particular detail. He nevertheless helped the legend to spread. Subsequent writers of history and fiction alike often identified vanity as the sole motivation for Bathory's crimes. Modern historians Radu Florescu and Raiden T. McNally have concluded that the theory Bathory murdered on account of her vanity sprang up from contemporary prejudices about gender roles. Women were not believed to be capable of violence for its own sake. At the beginning of the 19th century, the vanity motif was first questioned, and sadistic pleasure was considered a far more plausible motive for Bathory's crimes. In 1817, the witness accounts, which had surfaced in 1765, were published for the first time, demonstrating that the bloodbaths or blood seeker for vanity aspect of Bathory's crimes were legend rather than fact. Damn. The legend nonetheless persisted in the popular imagination. Some versions of the story were told with the purpose of denouncing female vanity, while other versions aimed to entertain or thrill their audience. Some versions of the story incorporated even more elaborate torture chamber fantasies than recorded history could provide, such as the use of an Iron Maiden, which were not based on the evidence from Bathory's trial. Leopold von Sachermosch, whose name inspired the term masochism was inspired by the Bathory legend to write his 1874 novella, Iwi Juglande, which is eternal youth. Uh, 
Bathory also appears as the main antagonist in the novel Dracula the Undead, a sequel to Bram Stoker's classic novel by his great-grandnephew, Dockray Stoker and Ian Holtz. <laughs> in the book, she is cousin to Count Dracula and was the motive behind his decision to move to London <laughs> in the original novel, and she was murdering women under the guise of Jack the Ripper, and he swore to stop her. Oh my the gosh. historical novel The Countess by Rebecca Johns tells a first-person fictionalized account of Bathory's life from her prison cell at, um, they have it spelled in an even different way, at Chuxtise Castle. In the, in the book, she tells her son, Paul, that the story of her life explaining her behavior towards her servants as punishment for their disloyalty. The emergence of the bloodbath or bloodseeker for vanity myth coincided with the vampire scares that haunted Europe in the early 18th century, reaching even into educated and scientific circles, but the strong connection between the bloodbath or bloodseeker myth and vampiric myth was not made until the 1970s. The first connections were made to promote works of fiction by linking them to the already commercially successful Dracula story. Thus, a 1970 movie based on Bathory and the bloodbath or bloodseeker for vanity myth was titled Countess Dracula. <laughs> Some Bathory biographers, McNally in particular, have tried to establish the bloodbath myth and the historical Elizabeth Bathory as a source of influence for Bram Stoker's 1897 novel Dracula, pointing to similarities in settings and motifs and the fact that Stoker might have read about her. This theory is strongly disputed by author Elizabeth Miller. Meanwhile, Bathory has become an influence for modern vampire literature and vampire films. The story, while retaining the essential facts, receives an imaginative interpretation in the horror novelist Sarah Bond's Cold Blood. I wonder if she took a cold blood bath or a warm blood bath. Hmm. I think you'd prefer warm, like you're laying in a thing of tomato soup. Is that desirable? Tomato soup? Maybe. If you've been skunked. Yeah. Blood? No. I feel like blood would really stain your skin. No, maybe not. Maybe tomato no, soup. No, because it doesn't have dye in skin. it. Well, someone died in it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about our promos, Sarah. <laughs> our promos are good friend Greg. Yeah, it is. Um, Greg is. Greg is the host of SoCal Stories, and he's a good friend of mine. Uh, we, we've talked about him before, but we went to college together and he's my buddy and he lived in New York and he moved to Los Angeles and now he hosts a podcast from there called SoCal Stories, but we're going to let Greg tell you about it. Take it away, Greg. Conversations with friends from the other side of the city of angels. This is SoCal Stories. My Jeep and just put guitars, mm -hmm. amps, a TV, a dad gave me a bottle of whiskey. 30-minute conversations with people who are interesting and live in Los Angeles. Isn't it just amazing how it's like everything that, you know, just everything that humanity has ever accomplished has just been on that tiny, tiny planet. Subscribe now wherever you get quality podcasts. Yay, Greg. Yay, Greg. So go check him out. Great stuff. Yes. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? All right, so I'm going to tell you a little creepy story about a man named Carl Tanzler and his love, Elena de Hoyos. All right. Does that sound familiar at all? De Hoyos, kind of. Okay. Well, Carl Tanzler was a German-born radiology technologist. Uh, he immigrated to the U.S. in 1926, and he took a job at the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West, Florida. Now, at the time when he moved there, he moved there with his wife and his two kids to a different part of Florida with um, a relative. But then he decided he wanted to leave his wife and kids. And he went to Key West and took this job and left them behind. But it's important to note that he is married. Sure, of course. Another fun fact is that during his childhood, Carl would claim and still claimed that he was visited by visions of a dead ancestor who revealed to him the face of his one true love. Right. So 1930, Elena de Hoyos was brought to the hospital, the U.S. Marine Hospital, by her mother to seek treatment for tuberculosis. Um, Elena had also recently suffered a miscarriage after which her husband left her. So she's not having a great time. But while she's at the hospital, she runs into Carl Tanzler and Carl Tanzler immediately recognizes her as the, as woman, the woman from his visions, his, his one true love. Right. Never mind that she was 21. 
and he was 55. Of course. And they were both married. She was his one true love. Um, He became obsessed with her. He showered her with gifts and constant promises that he could make her better. He he called himself Count von Kosel. He was not a count. Um, No, of course not. And he exaggerated all of his knowledge and um, his accomplishments and said that he, you know, he could do all of this so that he could exclusively treat Elena and he could treat her at home. Right. And of course, her parents are like, this is a little weird, but like he's trying to save our daughter. And Elena's kind of like, this is a little creepy, but I really want to live. So I shouldn't tell him Definitely. to fuck off. Right. Um, so throughout all of the gifts, the treatments and the generally, you're just like, I don't want to die. So I guess I'll just smile and go. <laughs> right. Yeah. So throughout all of it, uh, it's always known that Elena never reciprocated his feelings. She just didn't want to die. Um, But despite all of his treatments, she died just a year later in 1931. Carl offered to pay for her funeral and her parents agreed. Yes, he was creepy, but he had tried to save their daughter's life and they were moved by his efforts. So they were like, sure, you can pay for her funeral and her burial costs. And that's probably why they also agreed to let him build an above ground tomb for her. Mm -hmm. Mm. And why they didn't think twice about giving him some of her hair when he asked Uh for it. So Carl visited Elena's tomb every night. And of course the townspeople saw him, but they all thought that it was really cute how much he still loved her. No, he was and how much he hung on to her. But no one knew that he had a key to the mausoleum and he had had a telephone installed inside so that he could talk to her. He claimed that he talked to her every night and that she told him that she wanted her body taken out of the tomb. So two years after her death, Carl Tanzler snuck out in the middle of the night, removed her body from the tomb, put it in a toy red wagon. This is very important. Every single account I saw said that it was a red Red toy wagon. wagon and brought her back to his laboratory. Except his laboratory wasn't a laboratory in a hospital. It was behind the hospital in the body of an old wingless airplane. We'll get back to that in a minute. It was here in his airplane laboratory that Tanzler started his work on bringing back his one true love. Oh, God. He filled her corpse with rags, attached and secured her bones with wires and coat hangers, and fitted her face with glass eyes. He covered her decomposing skin in strips of cloth with soaked in wax and paraffin. And then he dressed her in her own clothes, loaded her back in her toy wagon, and took her to his house. There, she stayed for almost a decade. Yep. He slept next to her. He would dance with her. He would prop her up and have dinner with her. And he talked to her for hours on end. But the time and the Florida heat was not kind to Elena. Oh, God. And so as she decomposed more, he would put on more of the wax cloth strips um, he would drench the home in disinfectant and perfume to try to get rid of the smell. Sure. Keep in mind, he slept next to her for almost 10 years. Oh, and when her hair eventually fell out, good thing he had more to make a wig to glue back onto her head of her own hair. Yeah. His crazy ass was still convinced that he could reclaim her from death itself. And the key to that was that plane. So he believed that if he could get that plane working, um, he could take her body into the stratosphere so that the radiation could penetrate her tissues and restore get her to the life. Fuck out. Yeah, right? Sure. Okay, buddy. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that plan never came to fruition because Elena's sister showed up. Uh, Apparently, a small boy had seen Carl dancing in his living room with a life-size doll that looked a lot like Elena. And word got around to his family, or her family, and her family was like, huh, you know, come to think of it, we haven't seen Carl around her grave in years. So the sister went and confronted him and asked him to open up the mausoleum and let her inside, and he refused, and instead... He said, I'll do you one better. And he took her back to his house where she was greeted by the smell and the body of her sister. 
She, of course, ran. She got police. And when police came back, he had dressed Elena in a kimono robe, sat her up in a chair and placed one red rose in her hand. He was, of course, immediately arrested and psychiatrically examined and was found to be mentally competent to stand trial on the charge of wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. However, his case was eventually dropped because the statute of limitations on the crime had expired and he was released. He served no time. He paid no fine. And the public's reaction to this? People were generally happy that he had been set free. Instead of being painted as a creepy grave robber, most people saw him as a romantic old man who was so madly in love he was willing to sleep in the same That's bed as a corpse. horrible. They're all like, oh, look at this old man. He's so cute. But We're catch this. Uh, after the trial, Elena's body was put on display at a local funeral home for the public to view. And as many as 6,800 people came to see her body. The body was eventually returned to the Key West Cemetery, where it was reburied in a steel box with no marker to prevent further tampering. Also, Carl did ask after he was released if he could have her body back. Of he course had, he did. He had the fucking nerve to be like, okay, cool. Glad that all boiled over since that's so not I can a like keep it. Right? Can I get her back? Can I, can I keep it, mom? As for Mr. Tansler, the count, he gave tours of his laboratory in exchange for money. And when the money stopped coming in, he decided it was a change. It was time for a change of scenery. He then went to Elena's tomb, the one he built, blew it up, and moved to a new town. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> I just, and I'll show you, you got to Google a picture of this dude. Uh, I just imagine him then at that point being like, it's done. I need to just clean the slate. I need to walk away, going to her grave, lighting it. And then walking away from it, like in those Hollywood shots while it's exploding in the background. (laughs) I thought you were going to say he blew it up with himself inside. Nope. But the idea that he was just like, well, that was the love of my life. New town. Nope. Well, Carl died in 1952. Um, Fuck that guy. So remember, he got, that was probably another 10 years after he was released and all that shit went down. Then he died. His body was found on the floor of his home three weeks after his death. Good. But that's not all. Next to his body was a life-sized replica of Elena's body. Now that was freaky enough on its own, but when investigators looked more closely, they saw that the face on the body was eerily lifelike. Turns out he had made a death mask from Elena's corpse, and he used that as a start to build a new Elena. And he had lived and obsessed over his new Elena until he died. There's two conflicting reports. They say that he was found in the arms of the dummy. Another report said that he was found somewhere else in the house. But again, even at that death, people romanticized it. Oh, look at this old man who loved this. He even went and made a life-size doll of her that he held in his last moments of life. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's fucked up and gross. No. Well, I know we were all waiting for this last detail. But here's the last gross detail that you can't forget or leave out. And though it's not reported contemporaneously, research has revealed evidence of Tansler's necrophilia with yeah. her corpse. Oh, absolutely. Two, but you have to dig to find this information sometimes. Two physicians who attended the autopsy of her remains recalled that a paper tube had been inserted into the vaginal area to allow for intercourse. Others, however, contend that since no evidence of necrophilia was presented at the preliminary hearing in 1940, and because the physician's proof didn't come to fruition or come forward until 1972, over 30 years after, the necrophilia allegation is questionable. With no existing contemporary photographs of the autopsy or photographs taken at the public display that show a tube, the necrophilia claim is still up in the air. There's no way he didn't fuck that poor oh, girl's I know. I'm dead saying, body. No, I'm saying There's he definitely did. There's no way. Did. That poor girl. He definitely, he definitely he fucked absolutely her body. absolutely did. I just have to present both sides of the story, you know. Ugh. But no, yeah, he definitely, he, he fucked her body. And Ugh. then, when he didn't have her body anymore, he made a doll. And he fucked the and doll. He fucked the doll. Here's the other thing about this story. I've known about this story for years, and I've been sitting on it for a while, because it's really fucked up. But this isn't the only story about people sleeping with their 
dead bodies of their loved ones. Oh, I'm, I'm using loved ones as quotes. I'm There's sure. a Chinese man who's been sleeping with his uh, his wife's corpse for over a decade, and people know about it, and they're like, "Well, it's he's not sick. It's not making him sick. We'll just let him do it. Uh-huh. It makes him happy. Just we'll just let him do it. Fuck that." No. So that's the story of Carl Tanzler and unfortunately Elena de Hoyos. I hate that. I kind of urge you to Google the pic. You can see the pictures of her from the public display Christ. of her body. Um, and you can also see pictures of him, which just a fucking old German white dude obsessed with a 21 year old girl. They're the worst. I know. All right. So something that's not awful. I mean, it still kind of is. We're not judging. It's just not for us. That's fair. But you'll, yeah. Uh-oh. All right, Stephanie, what you got today for your fetish? Five. Where Stephanie gets five minutes to explain to us a new fetish. So um, I was going to talk about a different fetish, and I told somebody else that I was going to talk about something different. But I switched it because I was like, well, now I have to talk about this because of talking about Elizabeth Bathory. So today I'm going to talk about Blood play. Oh, as soon as you said, because I want to talk about Elizabeth Bathory, I was like, she's going to fucking talk about blood play. I sure am. You're right. It is gross. This is a gross episode. <laughs> this is a really gross episode about getting intimate with hey, gross hey, things. don't yuck someone's yum. <laughs> I think I'm going to yuck uh, Carl Tanzler's yum. That's fair. That's very fair. So today I'm going to talk about blood play, which is a form of edge play. Um, edge play is like a greater thing. The same way that like I talked about like DDLG and ABDL are part of age play. Blood play is part of edge play. So edge play is kink that's like genuinely dangerous versus something like, uh, we haven't talked about these things yet, but like we talked about like DDLG, something like that. We haven't talked about like, um, like blood play or water, or, uh, I was gonna say like pet play or like water sports. Those are all things that are, (laughs) that are not dangerous, but anything that's like edge play is considered like genuinely dangerous. Uh, so blood play involves like cutting the body to draw blood, right? So you can use, uh, sharp knives, medical or surgical instruments, Sometimes smearing or drinking the blood. Sometimes it's about the visual sensation of bloodletting. Back in 2001, Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton used to wear each other's blood in vials. And and, uh, Angelina Jolie had told Barbara Walters on 2020 that she had experimented with blood play and knife play as a teen. I know. (laughs) All right. So a lot of people say that the reason that it's attractive to them is because it appeals to like their primal instincts of like like just like savagery and brutality. Murder. There's something very there's something very visceral about blood, right? And it comes from the heart and red is the color of passion. There's the thrill of life and death. Uh bloodletting can be cathartic for masochists. So there's this theory with um with with a lot of masochism that's for some that the joy of the pain comes from like putting something physical to emotional pain. So like, it's hard to express emotional pain, but physical pain is something that you can feel very, like it's very tangible. And so that release can be very cathartic. And it leads me into talking about the two, I would say the two different schools of kink, right? Where there's uh, SSS versus rack, so SSS is safe, sane, and consensual. Um, so that's like the, you know, like that's what you want. Anything should be if you're playing in the kink community, unless you're playing in edge play, which they refer to that as rack, which is risk-aware consensual kink. So if you're doing something that is unsafe, I when I say unsafe, right, something like that that is genuinely dangerous, knowing to take the precautions for like bloodborne pathogens, protecting yourself or protecting yourself from those using um, like sterile environments and sterile tools, uh, those kind of things, like being very aware of that for, for your blood play. But yeah. That's the thing people are into and it can be, yeah. Like they just want to like see the blood. Some people want to drink the blood or play with the blood or do stuff with it. Most commonly from cutting, but there's also cupping. Mm. Cupping um, is like a medical suction cup that'll like pull on the skin so hard it'll actually draw blood. And you can play with that blood. There's a lot of that on Tumblr. (laughs) 
Because people are into, like, medical play, too. And that plays into both of those things. So, Elizabeth Bathory may have bathed in people's blood, but most likely she was just a sadist who really enjoyed blood play, blood and cutting people up, and really just and biting. Just enjoyed it, right? And she was probably just a sadist. I think she probably ate. I think she tried it. I think she probably tried it at least once, eating people. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it was more of a power move than like a. Like I'm a well. You like, don't think after 500 people she wasn't like I'm gonna try just one. Well, I just I just mean if she you know she bit the chunk out of somebody's face, I don't think she spit it out. No. Like I, I think but that's I, more of like it was more of like part of the like ripping them apart, and then she's like, well, it's already in my mouth. I'm gonna just chew it up and swallow. It'd be rude for me to. Oh well, I definitely think she was like, mm, let me let me put this on the grill. You think she cooked it up? Yeah, I think she tried it both ways, sushi and grilled sure fair enough we'll never know we won't we won't ever know elizabeth <laughs> no Ooh, girl <sighs> that's scary that's scary girl what a big day i know and now i have to go deal with the rest of the election pray for us <sighs> by the time you guys hear this we'll either... know how it turns out that's the scarier part is you're listening to this and you know what happened Whereas we're like, we're saying this and we're still like, what's going to happen? You're going to listen and you're going to either be like, girl, mm, or you're going to be like, girl. girl. Right. Like you're going to have one of two reactions to hearing this when, God, when everything results tomorrow. So on that note, make sure you do some happy things, which is leave us a good review on iTunes. Tell, Tell us how great things stars. are. Leave us a five star review and send it to us and we'll send you a sticker. Yes. Take a screenshot, send us your address, slip it into our DMs or email us at deadtimestories with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com. Of course, we're Dead Time Stories on Instagram and on Facebook. Follow us on all the things. Tell us what yes. you think about, you know, what ifs. Or e- anything. We love hearing from you guys. We're still taking ghost dick submissions. Love another ghost dick pig. Love it. <sighs> Thanks again. We really you appreciate it. You know who it. you are. Thanks again. Really. Like, I'm so, we're still really excited about it. We still gush about it. Yeah, I kind of want a turkey dick. <sighs> a turkey dick? But then mm. we have to see it. Yeah, like a dick dressed up as a turkey. I know. With, like, feathers on it. Mm-hmm. A little beak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Think about we'll it. We'll see. Think about we'll it. We'll see how see things what you go. Can come up with. Yeah, I'm Sarah. <laughs> I'm Stephanie. <laughs> and this is Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. Turkey dick. The balls could be the little gobbler or whatever. <laughs>